And welcome to the TR Show with Tom Furr. And Race Lashley. Tonight we are going to start with some election coverage for you guys. I know it's a little bit late, but uh, better late than never. So let's just jump right in. Always on time we are. When you look into the elections, there's a couple of things that bother me. But the one that stuck out the most was probably the media coverage. If you were Barack Obama... You got the best coverage, you had the best photo ops, your failures, your radical positions, your friends were downplayed as not left wing extremists, but more or less as moderates, people who came to the middle of the table. The wounds and failures were bandaged and hidden by the plastic surgeons of the nightly mainstream news media. They would stitch up the economic policies, they dismissed the fast and furious. They also disregarded foreign policy in regards to the Arab Spring when it only emboldened terrorists and was sold as a strategic success. This was a significant lack of leadership, and we saw this in Libya when it was indeed painted as a problem with a video that was produced and not a terrorist attack. This was only enforced by Candy Crowley's interruption in the debate to falsely correct Romney. This was another example of major networks where they were more concerned about their personal biases than the actual biases at hand. When they covered chronic unemployment, they were more concerned about the binders of women and big bird gaffes, and it was more or less swept under the table. If you were Romney, you had a little coverage that portrayed you as anything other than a right-wing fanatic, a capitalist who was hell-bent on the destruction of small businesses, and your religion was constantly under fire and criticized and displayed as degenerate. A comment that was made about 47% sparked class warfare and made it seem as if he couldn't relate to the lower half of Americans, when in fact it was nothing of the sort. When you looked at economic news and how it was covered, it was only covered in a means of things are now looking better. But four years prior, with numbers that were truly better, at unemployment around 5 to 6%, it was the beginning of the Depression, a significant recession. If you looked at gas prices, they were around $2, where they're around 4 now. But at that point in time, they were covered as too expensive for us to ever be able to afford and would lead to the soon impending economic collapse because of Republican policies. Only since then have we seen social issues take the front stage with gay marriage leading the way along with birth control and sex for women. The president has flip-flopped on these and was considered an evolving character. To me, if anything, the media has not done its job to vet, and nor has it done its issue to show the true issues at hand that need to be displayed. You know, and and you mentioned vetting, and and I think it's important to point out that the the media hasn't vetted either candidate. They didn't vet Obama in the first campaign. They sure as heck didn't vet him in this campaign, but they didn't really vet Romney in this campaign either. I think you're absolutely right, and when you look at that, the candidates that we know is really just from bashing of one of the two. Yeah, and, and we saw a huge outroar from the media after the first debate saying that this wasn't the real Romney when we as conservatives know that what we saw was, was in fact, the real Romney. and the, Something we didn't get to see very often. The Romney painted by the Obama campaign in their negative ads was a fictional character that they and, portrayed. You know, this is what we heard consecutively for the last two months was... 
political policy based on really nothing but social issues. Sure, gay marriage, birth War control, immigration. And then class warfare. You know, rich versus poor. Middle class was really kind of thrown out of the mix. And it was all about making sure people um, got redistributed wealth. Sure. Instead of providing equal opportunity, it was a campaign dedicated entirely towards redistributing another person's success is basically what that right. is. And we, I mean, we saw that from the you didn't build that statement all the way to his constant barrage of the middle class needs this, the middle class needs that. Well, I mean, the middle you, class really just needs jobs, as we pointed out in our last segment. I, I think the president did a great job of Peyton Obama, or not Obama, of Peyton Romney as a rich guy. And that's what he was trying to do in the debates. And you saw that with his little gaffes and his little jabs here and there about how your retirement fund is much larger than mine, Romney. Sure. And, you know, you saw things like that that you, well, you wouldn't know how to relate, you know, to the lower class. And you saw that the entire time. And I think he did... A a great job of painting that, but the media, I think, did an even better job. <laughs> yeah, I they mean, definitely they definitely helped him. I mean, we did not see any vetting of Obama in regards to failed policy. The only thing we saw were attacks on Romney's agenda for the next four years, but we never saw any type of push towards why doesn't Obama have one out there. And we didn't get both of those to compare for this election. And see, that would have been fair had they asked for him to produce the same thing so we could at least have some type of comparison to compare both of these two. Because honestly, the only thing that we continued to hear was a war on women and class warfare. And honestly, I really can't recall Romney saying anything that would shed women in a bad light. In comparison to, you know, the Democrats, I think, honestly, it's kind of an insult because it's all about women don't care about economics. They care about free birth control. Right. Gays don't care, gays don't care about having a job. They care more about, you know, making sure they can be married to somebody else. Right. Even though this well, isn't the issue that we're debating about, we're trying to get the economy back on track. Sure. Well, and another, another thing that they never vetted was, as we brought up in our last segment, Benghazi issue. And, and we saw a debate that was supposed to be centered towards foreign policy that completely got hijacked, but we we never saw anything legitimate about foreign policy, especially when it comes to Benghazi. It was never covered by this media, and it, it certainly wasn't covered in the campaign. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you're looking at those issues there, when the first time it was brought up, just the fact of it being labeled a terrorist attack, and that Rose Garden speech, he never said the word Benghazi is a terrorist attack or the phrase. He said he doesn't approve of terrorist attacks. Sure. But we never actually saw the actual labeling in the transcript. No. Well, and we saw and I, I recently. I wish they would have pulled the transcript. Sure. Well, and we saw recently the guy who made the freaking video just received a year in prison. For, for whatever reason. Yeah. And, you know, this was a planned attack. This was conducted by professionals. This wasn't anything other than that. You see that from the emails that were sent to the um, situation room. You see that from the conversations that were had from people that were involved with the 
the Benghazi scenario. I mean, we, we know that the video really had nothing to do with it. There's a reason why British troops pulled out. Right. There's a reason why they left early. Right. And, you know, those those type of things lead us to believe that the situation in Benghazi was getting inherently worse. It was getting worse. We know it was getting worse. We know the administration did nothing about it. The only thing we don't know is what exactly they did but know. But what we do know is that the media hasn't asked any questions about right. it. And they won't continue to do that. And they also won't ask any questions about unemployment being continually readjusted month after month to be higher than what it actually was when it comes out. Right. And I think that's interesting. That is but interesting. Moving but things along. Let's go down to the most recent uh, issue coming out of Benghazi. We we just heard news that Petraeus has stepped down. Supposedly from an affair. Extramarital affair. From the woman who wrote his recently um, published biography. All in. And, ironic. <laughs> the funny part about this that I thought was it comes at a time when Republicans are pushing hard for accountability in a congressional hearing for Benghazi. And I think that regardless of whether or not he steps down, they're still going to call for him to come back. Oh, yeah. He'll be back. But, you know, if you look at it, um, the funny part that's going to be cool about this is the reason why the investigation sparked is because the alleged affair really wasn't the issue. It was the fact that she was trying to get access to his email account. Right. And uh, to me, this is bothering and troublesome because – He's a four-star general, or was the four-star general in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he was situationally in charge of the CIA. Yep. And this, you know, someone who has access to basically all of the U.S.'s intelligence, somebody getting access to his email, whether it be top secret or not, is, is troublesome. Because for somebody who really, I mean, I I mean, from what I've read, she is uh, working on her PhD. Not really someone who's experienced with computers. I'd say in the same level as like a computer tech guy or you know someone who's a computer engineer. But at the same point, the idea that she can get access to his email by simply being around him for several months is is bothering to me and makes me wonder what all um, you know maybe we have or what all people do have access to. and, and let let's get some background here. Uh, when you look at government emails, there's two sides. There's Sipper and Nipper side. Um, and, and forgive me, I forget which one is which. But one side is secret. I want to say that's Sipper, and I'm sure I'm going to be proven wrong on this. And the other side is Nipper, which is unclassified. Uh, to get access to Sipper or Secret, you have to literally be inside of a locked safe. You have to. Enter a combination into a big spinny combination lock, go inside, shut the door, log into a classified computer system, gain access to your emails. An unclassified system is just like logging onto your home computer, going into your Gmail account, you get your emails. Now, I'm sure that what she was gaining access to wasn't his personal Gmail account on his iPhone. I'm sure she was getting access to something a little more... Um, and see, important we, than that. Granted, I don't think she was trying to gain access to a top secret uh, terminal, but it's still disturbing that she was trying to get access or did get access. We're not sure exactly which to his uh, 
emails. Because, I mean, this is, like I said before, he is director of CIA. I mean, you know, this is a man who was the general of post-9-11 wars. He was conducting, you know, basically the strategy for the, the surge. And in my opinion, um, you know, he knows a lot. Oh, yeah. And I think we know this um, for just from the fact that, well, here, I'll show you this article. The Associated Press actually comes up. It says, as of 23 hours ago, the FBI can't even discuss all of the issues that are at hand because some of it is still confidential. I mean, paraphrasing here, it says it's unclear if the FBI was investigating it when they became aware of the affair, but they spoke on the condition um, because they were not authorized to publicly discuss the matter. So whatever it is that she gained access to or whatever it is that was on that email account was something that the FBI can't even release to the public for generic conversation or generic reporting. So it's at that definitely point, definitely disturbing. I mean, that's something that is a pretty big issue because whatever she got access to, she's probably going to see jail time for it. But you know, we also have to raise the question: is if somebody that knows that much, people having access to his email accounts are also going to have access to his strategies? You know, and that's bad for a couple of reasons because one, that gives them access to what's going to go on. Two, they can predict the moves of the United States. And three, that's inherently bad because we can't surprise people in national security situations like we need well, to. Well, and, and like we saw with the recent Benghazi issue, if we aren't going to be effective enough to protect our embassy, if information like this is even Easily remotely available, available then what else, is, uh, what else are we susceptible to? And I think this is something we have to raise questions on and we have to be careful about. I mean, we'll all give it that Petraeus was a good general. He did some good things. He's basically what saved the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Regardless of politics, I mean, he came up with a strategy of how we're going to win this and get it done. Okay, he's the reason why we can pull out. But But loose lips sink ships. Exactly. Even your lowest soldier knows that yeah and if if you can't make a good judgment call as a four-star general then you've got no business being in in that position and that's the bottom line and see it's not even the access to email i think the affair itself and his situation um, puts him in a serious breach of security Mm -hmm. and counterintelligence threat because i mean a blackmail and you know honestly though i don't think petraeus is the guy that would in a blackmail situation be willing to put himself before his country. I mean, his entire life, he has always put himself in front of his country. I think a blackmail situation comes up, it's not an issue. But the idea that it could still happen to people in the military... But it begs the the question, if he can't be loyal to his wife, how loyal can he be to his country? You know, I mean, everybody's human. I'll give him that. And they'll make mistakes. But at the same point in time, it, it puts us in a, a unique situation because he could have been blackmailed or otherwise compromised for something. Sure. So, I mean, I don't know. I hope it's not grounds for court-martial. I don't think it would be just because of his tenure of record and what he has done and the fact that it didn't lead to anything. It didn't. However, um, you do have the Benghazi issue. And was he too busy keeping secrets? than uh, dealing with the Benghazi issue at hand. But see, um, I think the question you have to ask there, too, is he inherently responsible or who makes the call to send people in? Sure. You know, is it the White House? Is it him? I mean, he's, I mean, at the point in time, he's the head of the CIA. He's going to know what's going on. I don't think he's going to have the ability to make the calls to send troops 
put boots on the ground. You know, and I think uh, when you're looking at that, it's really going to put him in a situation of really just being a whistleblower in comparison to um, being the caller. And I'll, I'll give you that. And I honestly, at this point, I think the truth of the matter is we, we truly will never know, uh, never know the truth. Um, now let's move on to uh, this this next issue. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there is a pretty good sized lawsuit coming out of New York. It's uh, known as the forty three trillion dollar bankster lawsuit. And uh, we're getting ready to break the story right here. See, basically what the story is, is it has to do with the amount of money not being repaid by people on Wall Street for bailouts and TARP funds. And this money was given to these banks because of mortgages that had went for or went for, into foreclosure status, basically. So here's how kind of this worked. The banks got access to all these TARP funds and all these bailout money. Plus, they foreclosed on these people's houses. The amount, from what um, Spire Law Group has said, is the equivalent to $43 trillion of laundered money. The Wall Street Wall Street actually claims that they've paid it back and said that they've had access to do it or access to actually um, pay this money back, and they have the ability to prove that. On the other side, um, the law firm says they haven't done it. It's being led by the chief executive of TARP to spearheading the investigation and making sure that we see some type of justice or at least some answers from this scenario. Sure. Um, let's get a little backstory on this, though. The the story originally broke on Market Watch, October twenty five. Uh, two days later, CNBC picked up the story, and there was another story that day about um, a CNBC executive children being murdered, along with their nanny committing suicide. Um, some reports have come out saying that. There were no ways she could have committed suicide the way she was uh, killed, uh, saying that she couldn't have slit her throat well, it was the a, way that a special happened. op that said that. Right. It was a special operations was the health soldier saying that it couldn't have happened the way it was said, that she couldn't have slashed her throat the way it was reported. From what the report said, it said that the knife was inserted in the neck and broke her neck immediately and then was gouged out. So, so the idea that she killed herself from what the special ops source that they had, you know, he says that it's not possible. I mean, whether we're speculating here or not, it's still a question that probably needs to be answered and, and realized. Um, the cool thing, or I mean, the interesting thing about this story is the administration has not done anything publicly or nationally um, to really bring any light to this or bring any justice. And there is a possibility of a RICO charge on this for the reason that the Obama administration has been borrowing money from these companies that are having these same political aspirations for him to get reelected, but also have caused um, the money laundering to lead to the administration. So what this does is this puts a whole bunch of government officials, anywhere from Ben Bernanke to Hillary Eric Clinton, Holder, Eric Holder, even the Obama Timothy administration, Timothy Geithner, John Corzine, and bank CEOs all linked together in a RICO trial, which is what the civil case is innately trying to do, um, is when they try to prove that. If they prove it in the civil court, they get access to a RICO court in um, the criminal court, basically, which puts them in a, in a rough situation. 
for that there. I mean, for me, I think this is cool because we're going to finally get answers on why so many people had to foreclose and what happened to this bailout money. Because my original impression of the bailout money is it was going to be good for both the banks and the people that had the loans to help prevent the housing crisis. Sure. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it obviously was not supposed to go to these shell corporations to be laundered. And give and, executive bonuses right. to and promote um, political campaigns. Right. You know, I... I the national debt is $16 trillion, $16.4 trillion. Yeah. This amount of money is $43 trillion, about two and a half times the amount of the national debt. I can't even wrap my head around $16 trillion. I can't wrap my head around $1 trillion. Yeah, that, it's, it's unreal to me. But the idea that $43 trillion U.S. dollars are out and afloat somewhere. Somewhere here? Well, I guess necessarily not here, but... It's probably that Cayman Islands, or you know, what's the population of the Earth? Uh, Six point seven billion, is that right? Yeah. yeah so, so how many dollars is that per person? <laughs> I mean, we're looking at about seven dollars a person here. That's, or, I mean, a lot more. Sorry, seventy dollars or something like that. Yeah, that's that's an unreal amount. It's bad math so. on my part. I mean, sorry to put you on the spot yeah, like that. You know, <laughs> what, are you, what are you gonna do? But I mean, this is a lawsuit that is going to shed light and maybe clean up the banking system for once for an area that has been always displayed as something corrupt and even Washington cleaning up some of these politicians. Well, let's be realistic. is You're not going to see anybody go to jail for this. Uh, there's not going to be any any charges filed. There's not going to be $43 trillion magically appear uh, no. out of someone's bank account. But like you said, if we can get some different regulations passed, if we could get some crooked people out and get some decent people in, I think we could see some decent changes come out of this lawsuit. I mean, because you're going to be able – I mean, hypothetically, even if the president was to go down, the same situation that happened with Nixon right. is his vice president would just give him the pardon. Yeah, you're so, I mean, free and clear. But not, not to accuse the president of anything like that, but to say that you know someone's going to go down, I, I, don't, I think you're right. But the idea that we're going to get some change in the banking system out of this, that's a good deal. Absolutely. I mean, if we can prevent this from happening in the future, maybe figure out a way to help some of these people out that have lost their homes from this and, you know, make the banking system, you know, deregulate and re-regulate in the way it should be, because obviously the regulations from TARP haven't worked. Sure. Then maybe we can figure out a way to do something better here and, you know, not have $43 trillion or even $100 trillion in the future randomly disappear. Yeah. Well... Although I will say with this story, I think that someone somewhere is scared. I mean, you've seen a few deaths with this. There's been, like I said, those, those children were murdered right before the story broke. Not Again, I'm not some huge conspiracy theorist, but I do think something it's somewhere is, is rattling. It's an interesting um, correlation. So definitely uh, Market Watch from Wall Street Journal. Get on there. Google $43 trillion bankster lawsuit. Um, do some research. On it. Check it out. You can find some really information on it. Um, you know, if you find some new stuff that we can go off of and talk on our next show, yeah, that'd shoot be great. us a link, uh, trshow12 at gmail.com. Uh, the TR Show on Twitter. We are on podcast now. Uh, also on iTunes. The TR Show, right? Um, Available on iTunes, so you can check us out there too. And you can also leave comments. Yep. Lots of comments. Um, 
I think that pretty much wraps the show up for today. Expect we are going to follow up again later this week with some more on this story as it develops. Also with Petraeus, also with uh, some sequestration in the fiscal cliff. I think that we're going to see some developments with that as the year closes down. Um, Congress is going to be making some moves on that. So So I think those are some interesting things that we're going to cover. Um, Definitely check us out on Monday. Absolutely. You guys have a nice night, and uh, thanks for listening. As always, thanks. Thanks.